you uh, grab your Bibles, please. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, page 950. Romans chapter 16. Once you have it, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. to you our sister Phoebe, the servant of the church at the ch church at Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert of, to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you, and Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow worker. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilatus, my, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys, greet Apelles, who, who was approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the house of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophana, Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, who also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet the Secretus, Lagon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nurus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Think for a moment what your Christmas dinner table is going to look like in a few days. Or maybe you've already had a Christmas family gathering. More than likely, the people gathered around your table are going to look and sound much like you. They're going to have the same skin tone. They're going to speak the same language. More likely, they're going to have the same theological heritage that you have right now. They're going to have the same traditions, aren't they? They're, they're going to they're gonna love the same things that you seem to love. They may hate the same things that you love, hate. They may appreciate casserole. Even though you might hate a casserole. But the people around your table are going to be very similar to you. But as we look at this text, you're going to be kind of looking at this going, Man, Paul, this really should be some speed reading section. This is something that maybe we should just skip over. What, what does this really have to do with Christmas? What does this really have to do with my life? There, maybe there's just 
certain sections of scripture that you are more inclined to think, why is this important? Why do we have to spend time on this greeting section? Perhaps as you even pre-read this section of Romans chapter 16, you were thinking, why is Paul going to do this? Couldn't we have done something with a baby in a manger or some wise men coming to see a child? Or maybe something about Mary. Maybe the, qu the question was even deeper and even more theological. Is this list of names as inspired or as spiritually helpful as Luke chapter 2 or Romans chapter 8? I've chosen to spend our time together on this text for at least four reasons. First of all, I believe that 2 Timothy chapter 3 is true here. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Romans chapter 16 is Scripture. And it is for our good. Secondly, I want to help you see that there are passages in the Bible that require you to read, be read over and over and over and over again. And as you read over and over and over again, you are going to see amazingly glorious things that you have never seen in your first reading or your second reading or your hundredth reading. That's how God works in Scripture. He goes, let me show you something you have never seen before. Thirdly, there is surprisingly more in this list than just a list of names. There's more here. In these 16 verses, it, there is a beautiful tapestry of theology, of love, of commendation, and mission. All which are set in a framework of gospel relationships. And lastly, since day one, Missio Day has been working hard. One of the focal points, one of the things that I am proud of, is that we are a highly relational church. You cannot get out the door without people knowing your name, or part of your story, or inviting you over to their home for dinner. And I hope that in our study today to show you how vitally important it is to constantly be thinking about and working on your connectedness to this body. So my prayer today is this. My prayer is that you will be more in love with the Bible today than when you walked in. My prayer is that you will be more enamored with the church of Jesus Christ by which he gave his blood for I pray that you will be more committed to gospel-centered, mission-oriented, and people-impacting relationships today than when you walked into this building. I want you to see how the gospel of Jesus Christ is lived out through relationships. The book of Romans is filled with all kinds of propositional kind of statements. Paul has embedded 
theological meaning and truth into all these statements that are meant to be not only just understood, not just embraced, but to be lived out in real life today. Romans chapter 8 says this, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There are sweeping implications for that truth proposition, including how the church views their own lives, including how they welcome other people despite differences. There is a direct connection, friends, between our theology and our relationship. What you believe about grace, about God, about sin, about forgiveness, about the cross, has some very important effects on the relationships that you have. Something is terribly wrong if there is a disconnect between your theology and how it is lived out. In other words, your view of God will surface very quickly and will be very evident in your relationships. Now, there are other places in the Bible where it talks very explicitly about relationships, about how our theology and our relationships should connect. But here, we see it illustrated by Paul as he begins to bring a close to this book of Romans. When you first read verses 1 through 16, you cannot help but notice all the names. There are 26 people specifically mentioned. After this deep, dense book, Paul chooses to mention 26 people by name. And before we look at the specific people on the list, I kind of want you to notice just the personal nature of Paul's ministry. Even though he has never, ever visited Rome, there are specific people that he has on his mind and his heart as he is beginning to bring a close to this letter to the Roman church. He has not just merely written written these theological treaties about justification, about righteousness, and about God's sovereign purposes. That's not just the purpose of the book of Romans, but that's often what we think. This is the book we go to to pull out our theology, what we believe about justice, about God's justice, about righteousness, God's righteousness, what we believe about faith and faith alone. That's where we often go. But Paul says, no, it's not just about that. There are people that he knows and loves that are going to be receiving this letter. And I'm sure this has shaped the how and the why he wrote this wonderful book. He had people on his mind. The best theologians, the best pastors, the best teachers, the best missional community leaders, the best ministry leaders, the best disciples out there are those who can connect their content with real, live people. Have you ever had a lunch or a coffee or a meal with somebody that you know loves them, loves you? You... You, you step into that kind of that holy moment at that table, and they are all ears. And they, they turn their iPhone off, or they turn it over, and they, it'll be buzzing on the table, and you're going, just answer the phone. And they're going, no, 
you. And then when they speak, there's a holy hush as you are just eating and digesting. And you just want to write down every word that they say because you know that they are deeply connected in that moment. Gospel ministry always, always involves content and a context. Whenever you are involved in a ministry, you must always ask, what needs to be said? But it must also be married to, to whom am I speaking? The way that you may speak to your spouse or best friend for years is going to be different than how you speak to a child. Effective ministry just flourishes when the minister, the discipler, the leader knows the depth of content and the need of a person. Gospel ministry takes place in the context of relationships with real people, with real names. I am, I am proud that I could go around this room and tell you every person's name. And that I know a bit about your context. And therefore, I know a bit about the content that I need to share. There's something very special about that. And as we grow, we need to consider the ways that the pastor and the elders create ways to know God's people so that the content can reach the heart of the person. But that's not just it. And secondly, I want you to notice that 17 times Paul uses the word greet. For you, you're going to have Philip. This is important. Sometimes it's used in, in an individual way. Other times it's used, greet this group of people. Sometimes it, there are longer statements connected to a person. And other times it's just like, simply a list of names. But this is more than tell so-and-so, hey. This is more than, hey, oh, oh, by the way, Christmas cards, tell them hi, kind of stuff. No, it's deeper than this. These greetings were a product of the love that Paul had for his people. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 13, by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and Paul's affectionate greeting for these individual people, along with short affirmations that he gives, are a byproduct, are a byproduct of the mutual love that Paul has for them and a byproduct of the love that they have for him. Back and forth. It's a byproduct. He greets them because he loves them. The beauty of the gospel is, is the way that it changes a people and it unites them to other believers. Notice the qualifiers that are connected to the names. First one, Phoebe. Her sister. Her sister. Are they related? No. Her sister and, and a servant of the church. Verse two, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen who are well known 
to the apostles. Ampelitus, don't name your firstborn son that. <laughs> My beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, our fellow co-worker in, the, in Christ. Statius, my beloved, Apollos, approved in Christ. The, and those who, those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus, Persis, beloved, Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And so in sending these greetings, Paul is doing more than just giving a head nod. Hey, he's not doing the fancy. Hey. He is illustrating the way in which the gospel actually creates a love that the people have for each other. A relationship with Christ changes the relationships that you have with other people. There's a special bond that is created between people who share a common relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, for some of you, this Sunday, and maybe even next Sunday, and the Sundays to come, this is a place of refuge. The church gathered becomes a place of refuge after spending some time with your family. <laughs> you can breathe again. And even if you're sitting next to them right now, you know in your heart, one. I love my church. It's a place where it is, it, sometimes family, sadly, can be unusually difficult because it's just a reminder to you and certain members of your family that you are all heading in very different directions. And when we gather together, you find out that your values and your views are increasingly different than the values of maybe your family and the world that you live in. And one of the things that makes the church special is the gathering of people who deeply love the Lord. And, and they love the same Lord, not this other Lord. They, we have the same values, and we have the same vision for the world. The church is designed to be the place of refuge where the gospel can be celebrated in the context of loving and encouraging and changing relationships. That is why when you read the New Testament, there are all kinds of one another commands, including love one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, serve one another, one another carry one another's burdens, forgive each other, encourage one another, pray for each other, bear with one another, and many, many more. That is to be a description of the church of Jesus Christ. What's noticeably absent from this list are the countless ways that our relationships are marked by less than loving actions. Pastor Ray Ortland gives, gives us a list that uh, is often more typical in our world. Sanctify one another. Humble one another, scrutinize one another, pressure one another, embarrass one another, corner one another, interrupt one another, defeat one another, sacrifice one another, shame one another, judge one another, run one another's lives, 
point out one another's failings. The kind of God we really believe in is revealed in how we treat one another. The beauty of the gospel is how it changes you. How it changes other people. How it changes our relationship. How it changes an entire people. The gospel changes how we relate to one another. Finally, it's also important to notice that throughout all Paul's list, that frequently he refers to people who are fellow laborers, who are workers, servants, and even fellow prisoners. There's a very clear sense that they are all part of the exact same mission. They are in this to win it together. And, and that the advance of the gospel is something that we are doing together. You are my fellow worker. We are in this together. Let's go. So throughout church history, the gospel is most often advanced through teams of people who are in relationship with one another. It's very rare that you find a lone ranger or solo operator having great influence. Even the late R.C. Sproul, who passed away this week, of Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul, an amazing theological mind, was not alone. You read his blogs. You read what's put out there. It is tied to other people. Yes, he was a great impact. But he was not alone. I've heard that history is transformed among friends. Some notable examples would be this. Starting off with Jesus, with Peter, James, and John, his closest disciples. Paul with Barnabas, Silas, and John Mark. John Calvin and John Knox. The Holy Club at Oxford with John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. What about the Second Great Awakening with the five wild men at Cumberland? Or C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien helping one another write the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings trilogy. God works through relationships of his people as they come together for a common purpose. The gospel is normally, normatively spread with friends. So is that how you think about the church or the ministry in which you are involved? Or is church something that you just attend? That you're, I show up on Sunday morning, I check off the box, I put my my little gold star on the chart, and I've done my duty for the week. Or is it more than that? Do you see the value of the relationships that are here in this room? Do you see the value of people knowing you and the value of knowing others? Or are you a solo operator? Do you keep people at distance? or merely come to church with the goal of making as few connections as possible. I'm getting in, and I'm getting out. I think Romans chapter 16 illustrates a better path. It, it illustrates a journey together that makes relationships the fertile ground for the demonstration and the spread of the gospel. 
So we're going to see here, as we now dive into the names and the people and the places, that there are a variety of different relationships. There are a number of different observations we can make. First, this list includes a wild, crazy list of people from all different walks of life. The list includes people who are Jewish, who are Roman, who are Greek. And Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia. It includes married couples, Prisca and Aquila, and people that we can assume are single, both men and women. There are wealthy people. Phoebe, who gets the title, she's a patron. That's, that's, that's big cash. And then you have <coughs> slaves, those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. There are individuals, and individuals and house churches addressed. So part of the beauty of what is here and what should characterize every church and every ministry is the diversity of people involved in gospel ministry. Galatians chapter 3 says, For in Christ you are all sons of God, through faith, for you were baptized into Christ, who have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And Romans 16 includes people from all different walks of life. Secondly, this list shows us the significant role that women played in the church. Phoebe was a wealthy woman who delivered a letter from Paul to the churches in Rome, and she was, she was identified as a servant of the church. And Paul celebrated it. There was no, well, she's just part of the women's ministry. We, we, we let her out of the kitchen. No, he said, this woman, this woman is a servant of the church. And you need to honor her. And then we see that Prisca is the wife of Aquila. And I'm going to give you more on that in a little bit. But there were nine other women who are mentioned in this list. And four of them are followed with the Greek word <coughs> for labor, which Paul usually use, uses to describe the work that missionaries do. We were laboring together in the gospel. <coughs> It seems that these women were actively involved in ministry. While Paul clearly describes the role of elders and deacons in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, there is an equally clear affirmation of the importance of these women in the work of ministry in other non-pastoral roles. William Newell wrote this in his, his commentary. Ministry in the spirit by a woman is different altogether from her authority taking her, her taking over authority or infringing upon the order of the assembly of God. Listen, there is a ministry of women that needs to be celebrated, needs to be elevated, kept in its appropriate lane, but it needs to be highlighted in the church. And what does Paul do? He highlights. And celebrates. 
clear there's a fascinating, it's fascinating to contrast the different word that Paul used to describe his connections or his partnership with the people who are on this list. <coughs> he uses terms like sister, servant, fellow worker, or fellow prisoners, or uh, church, first convert, kinsman, beloved, approved, workers, those who belong, chosen, another to me, and the saints. The variety is crazy. It is stunning. The extent of Paul's relationships is the beauty of what it means to be engaged in the lives of others. Paul had spiritual mothers. Paul was a spiritual father. But he had a spiritual mother. He had co-workers. People who belonged to him because they belonged to Christ. In other words, the more that you connect with people, the more different and the more enriching are the ways that they bring blessing to your life. Fourthly, there are some interesting and noteworthy people on this list. Most notable to me are Prisca and Aquila, but we're going to start off with Epinatus in verse 5. He was one of the first converts in the province of Asia. I love that he mentions it. There had to be that warm spot of Epinatus. Do you remember that discussion that we had that day? When the scales fell off of your heart and the eyes, your eyes opened wide and tears fell as you understood the gospel, as God regenerated your heart. Do you remember that? Epinatus. <coughs> Romans chapter 16, verse 5. Or Aristobulus. This guy was more than likely the grandson of Herod the Great. Narcissus may have served the Emperor Claudius. And Paul's words may be written to those who are part of his famous household, servants, and family members. There was Rufus in chapter 13. He may have been the son of Simon the, the Cyrene. Do you remember who that is? Somebody refresh my memory. Who is he? Nope. He carried the cross. When Christ dropped it, they chose someone. Simon of Cyrene picked it up. The church history has it that his son, Rufus, is the name of Simon of Cyrene. And on top of that, he's now significantly mentioned in Romans chapter 16. And not only Rufus, right? Also his mother are significant. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junior were Jewish believers who came to faith before Paul. They were in Christ before me. And they were well known to the apostles, likely because of their joint missionary efforts, and they were fellow prisoners with Paul. And there, there was a list of, of five house churches that were mentioned there. And most notable was the house church of Prisca and Aquila. These two believers need some additional uh, background because they we know a lot about Prisca or also Priscilla and Aquila. We read about Priscilla and Aquila in Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, 
Anita Papontis, recent, recently come from Italy, huh, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded that all Jews be in Rome. And he went to stay with them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So Paul was in the middle of his second missionary journey when he met this wonderful couple. They became dear and trusted friends in the ministry. And Romans chapter 16 verse 4 is telling who risked their necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Priscilla and Aquila became a relational bright spot for the Apostle Paul, and they even traveled with him to Ephesus. These folks said, the gospel is critical. We're going to go from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus. And while the city in Ephesus, while they were in Ephesus, they heard the, the eloquent Apollos give his, his spiels, his preaching. And you know what they did? They helped him more fully understand the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And while they were in Ephesus, the church met in their home. And at some point, they moved back to Rome. And again, they opened up their home for the church to meet in. And at the end of Paul's life, he wrote in 2 Timothy, uh, Priscilla and Aquila moved back to Ephesus. <laughs> they weren't church hoppers. They were missionaries engaged in the gospel. So what do we make of this couple? They were, they were unique and they were greatly used by God. And from what we can tell, these people were dearly loved by Paul. And they were willing to take great risks, great risks for the gospel. They were growing and they were mature in their faith. And they were willing to go wherever they were needed. If I would look at you and say, you're starting a church in North Carolina. Who's in? How many of you are uh, I know you, son. You go. <laughs> but how many of you would go, yeah, you know what? All my family is here. I got a great job. But what if I said, you know what? 90% of that region is not in a church on any given Sunday. <laughs> That would take a lot of work. How many of you would say, I'm in. When do we go? Ed Rose is with me. And so is my son. <laughs> but that's what's happening here. Priscilla and Aquila are saying, something's happening. You need help? We'll go. We'll pick up. We'll, we're, we're mobile enough. We'll pick up and we'll just go. And these weren't just little jaunts here and there from uh, Frankfurt to Mokina or Bokina to all the way down south of Manhattan, or even further into Urban A. <laughs> it's not like that kind of move. These were hundreds and thousands of miles moving back and forth. Everywhere they went, God, they were used by God for ministry, and this doesn't happen by accident. Priscilla and Aquila were just dear, dear people. And one of the great joys and one of the benefits of being involved in the life of the church and ministry is the people with whom you are able to connect and minister with. Granted, the relationships can be complicated. Amen? They can be messy all the time. But I'm telling you, 
that there is something sweet, there is something meaningful and deeply rewarding when you can serve with people that you love. I love these people. There's something uniquely powerful about participating in the advance of the gospel with brothers and sisters that you love. But then here's, here's the last thing. How do we leverage our relationships? There's a variety of relationships out there, but how do we, how do we leverage? And I, as I spent time in Romans 16, the critical importance of relationships emerged and just really, really gripped me. There's something special in this text. There's something commendable for us to pursue and to be about as we wrap up this, this holiday season and as we think about 2018. So let me ask a couple questions. Number one. Do you see the spiritual value of your relationships? Spiritual, not, not just, um, man, I got, a, I got a BFF. I got a best friend forever. Or like, I, I love hanging out with this guy. I love hanging out with this woman. I, these guys, I, I just love them. But do you see the spiritual value of relationships? Sometimes we can think of relationships with other Christians and other believers as something that is really nice to have, but not all that entirely necessary. And this text, along with the one another command, shows us that ministry is not just what we do, but also with whom we do it. Spiritual growth is not just about what you know about God, and spiritual know about God and just your even your spiritual maturity. It's about whose lives you are impacting and how you are helping people grow spiritually. The goal is not just to come to church. If that's your goal, you're missing it. It's not just to come and grow personally and, and to serve God effectively. The goal is to come, to connect, to grow and to share and to serve together. We're, we're growing together. Don't forget our goal is not just to serve, to fill spots. It is to serve together. Spiritually oriented relationships are central, the central part of what it means to be a church and the critical context for our spiritual growth. In other words, spiritual growth and effective ministry take place hand-in-hand in, hand in relationships. That's how it works. Second question. What value do you add to the relationships around you? What value do you add? Let's not go broad. Let's stay local. Value do you add to the relationships here? Can you imagine your name being listed in Romans 16? Imagine the Apostle Paul writing a series of greetings to our church. Put your name in the sentence and complete. Greet so and so. Because he or she is 
this. What would people say about you? What would they affirm? And on top of this, I am struck by the placement of Epinetus in, in verse 5, right? There's nothing more sweet as thinking and seeing a person face to face when they have come to faith under your ministry. And Epinetus had a real soft spark, a soft spot in Paul's heart. And as we consider Christmas, and as we consider our interactions, friends, the best way to add value to someone's life is not a stupid sweater. Or a gift card. Or a vacation. The best way to add value to someone's life is through intentional gospel words and intentional gospel activity. Friends, what will people say after your Christmas gatherings? Will they say, there's something about that man, that woman. It's clear their love for Christ. And I would love to, I know I won't get it, I would love to let us be witnesses. Pastor Paul. Greet so and so. Because over this past Christmas, they have blessed me with this. I have come to Christ because of this. They helped me get out of debt in this area. They've gone above and beyond in serving me here. They are obviously fellow co workers in the leads to question number three. What relationships might God want to use? What relationships might God want to use? Who are the people that God has already placed in your life? If you are, are married and have children, what are you doing to maximize the relationships in your home for spiritual people? Maybe, maybe 2018 could be the year that you find new ways to leverage your family relationships for spiritual growth. Or if you're single or in a serious relationship, what could you do this year to pour into people around you for their spiritual good? If you're serving in an area of ministry, because every one of you probably has a spot or four in this church, right? Because of our size. How could you... Use serving together, not just to do ministry, but to do life with other people. Or maybe God is calling you to use your life experience and the word to disciple someone, to get involved in the children, men, women's, or, or a missional community kind of ministry, or find creative ways to get deeper into people's lives. The point is simply that God has providentially placed people in your life. The people that are here together are providentially God said, Paul Broom, you're going to be with Morgan. Paul Broom, you're going to be with Gabe. Paul Broom, you're going to be here with Shauna. Now what are you going to do? They're here. Are you going to just ask if you can do it nice again? Or are you going to say, this is more than fellowship. This is deep connectivity. 
you see how deep Romans chapter 16 is to our lives and our church? Do you see how important relationships are to the life of the church? Do you see how it relates to Christ's coming in the incarnation, his first coming? And this passage just displays and fleshes out all the Abrahamic promises. Listen, you are going to be a light to the nations. You are going to be, this, this, I'm going to be a God to you, but for the purpose of you spreading the gospel relationally everywhere you go. Or think about how, even in the angel's announcement in chapter 2 of Luke, and in that same, we can get all nostalgic about this, can't we? Immediately think of children of heroes and little lamb suits. That's not what it's about. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. They were the poorest of the poor. They were also considered unclean and not allowed into the temple area. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy for what? All people. All people. All people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's born for you. Now who takes this good news of great joy? Did you see you know what happens next. What happens to these shepherds? The angels went away. They go, what is going on? They left the sheep, and they did what? They went to go see about this great thing. And after that, they didn't just stay around in their holy huddles. They went around telling everybody about this good news of great joy, which is for all people. Folks, this is what the incarnation is all about. God broke into your world, into your life, for the purpose of not hoarding Jesus, <coughs> but for the sake of saying, I commend to you, my sister, my brother, my fellow worker, my, my mother in Christ, my this person and that person, oh, they are, you need to welcome them. They are beneficial to the whole kingdom. That is why he gave his life, freed you from the shackles of Satan's sin and death, and freed you to be his emissaries, sharing the gospel message to those in dire need. Friends, the church is meant to be a place where we are connected to something bigger than ourselves and even to the people just around us. The gospel is lived out in relationships. Amen.